Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Executive Minds Podcast. Uh, Kevin Jennings here with you, along with David Farmer and Jeff Henderson. Hey guys. What's up, Kevin? Kevin, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too as well. Really, really excited to pick up where we left off last week with part two of this conversation um, because we are trying to help people figure out a process for handling tension in the air. Uh, Right now, we are in the middle of a pandemic still going strong. We have what many can consider some kind of uprising as many people are vocally going against racial injustice in our country and police brutality. And that's led to protests, in some cases, unfortunately, riots around our country. And here's the truth. You, no matter where you fall on these situations, and we, we might have opinions about where we hope you fall, but the key thing is this. There will be something else. There will be another issue. There will be something that takes place in your town, in your industry, uh, that's going to lead to conversations, right? Whether it be Nike and accusations of sweatshops and how they manufacture their goods um, or, you know, hormones and food. If you're a restaurant, there will be something you're going to have to navigate and encounter and there will be tension in the air. And so today, Jeff and David are going to just, we're going to hopefully extract and excavate some ideas from them that might help all of us build a light framework about how we can better navigate tension in the air with our team, whether or not we caused it. Right. That's the big part of this. No rest, no business in this country or in the world tried to bring COVID to them. (laughs) No one thought or planned for an unarmed black man to be killed in broad daylight in Minneapolis. But here you are in Georgia or Tennessee, wherever you might be listening, saying, oh, my goodness, this is affecting my team. And it's not in my town. So, uh, guys, I thank you again for being willing to to kind of step into the mess because we know that there's no perfect way to do this. I'm happy to do it. I think it's great. It's a challenging topic. The backdrop is tragic, but it leads to what I think can be a really productive conversation if you're a leader. Awesome. Well, with that being said, Jeff, once again, I'm, I'll start with you because I think, you know, I say this a lot with you, the tension you're in is not just one of leadership with your team, but you're also expected in your community to be a moral authority. And so there's a tension there that just it goes beyond, you know, how well you lead behind the scenes um, as people expect you to lead a certain way publicly as well. And I love to kind of say, where are you starting with, once again, addressing tension in the air with your team? Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, at a, maybe for the first time, actually at a lunch meeting this week. Remember when we used to do that? Actually used to have like meetings over lunch. <laughs> and I got a text from a city in Gwinnett County saying, could you be here at five because there's going to be a protest and rally and we would like, you know, community leaders to be here. And that's just, you know, you're in your organizational world and here, here you are. So I was able to be there and, and it's just kind of a, you know, then you go, you got your mask on and you're trying to keep six feet apart and all that kind of, it's just, it's just an, such a hard, hard world right now. But as outward facing as that is, inward facing is, is more important in terms of the culture. I've, I've said that, you know, the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. And if you are posting on social media, a great game, but 
internally the team's not feeling it, they're going to feel the disconnect and there's going to be a lack of authenticity. And so being able to have, and David mentioned this in the last podcast, individual conversations with people that you could have, but also to address this as a team. And that's what we've been doing every staff meeting since, you know, when uh, Ahmad Arbery was killed, we rallied and did, actually it just kind of was birthed out of some folks from Gwinnett Church. We did a, a race on his birthday to run in his, in his honor. To be honest, I'd actually walked. I didn't run. But so we wanted to talk about that as a, with our team and to make sure that we are focused on our team and how everyone is doing. Because we do need to lead the church and we do need to lead the community. But how is the team doing and how are we doing with one another? And that's really important, no matter how small or large your organization is. And I see a lot of brands trying to find their footing right now. And if they're not posting anything, you look on their comments and people are saying, why aren't you posting? And then if they do post, then some folks don't like what they're doing. So I think it comes back to really rediscovering your purpose. You know, we've talked about this, you know, what do you want to be known for? If you haven't done the hard work on that, you've got to do that. And it's not too late to do that. In fact, you should relook at that now. But now more than ever, uh, for-profit businesses need to have a purpose that's bigger than just staying in business. Yeah, well said. Well said. Obviously, for those who don't know, this week, uh, Mad Square Garden Entertainment and the owner of the New York Knicks, public, you know, uh, internal memo leaked with him publicly saying, "We're not going to put out a statement uh, as an organization because we just we." But it's one of our values to make sure that our workplace is always a safe place for people to work, and people were really angry about it because they said, "Well." A safe workplace is not a value. That's a that's a minimum. That's a minimum for any organization in the country that their place is a safe place to work. And despite the fact that, truthfully, they're the only NBA franchise that's actually hired the highest number of minorities and women, and yet their unwillingness to say it. Obviously, there's some other things going behind the scenes as far as their owners' connection to connection to you know certain uh, organizations that might lead people feeling another way about him. But it was interesting to hear the social pressure and internal pressure from even the team to say something, Jeff. And I think that's a really great point that, you know, people expect something from, more from their employers and more from the people that they are patroning uh, at this point. David, any thoughts there for what, what, where you're starting as far as, once again, navigating tension in the air? Well, I'll tell you, Kev, I'm no surprise, I'm, but I'm a little bit of a process geek sometimes. And so as I think about this, I feel like there's some things we need to be doing long before there's ever a crisis. They're just healthy and they set us up. So when the crisis comes, and as we've already experienced in 2020, there are things coming that we would have never anticipated. We don't control the timing. They just happen. So you have to sort of do this stuff ahead of time. And then I got a few thoughts on what you do once it hits. But if I, if I shared a little bit of process with you, let me first of all say, I think if you're a leader, one of the things I've learned, people want to follow leaders, not who are right all the time. They want to follow leaders that they believe are really honest, people who are truthful, because we are human and we all make mistakes. And so if you're trying to live out this myth that you don't make mistakes, uh, I got a perfect track record, therefore follow me, that is a massive fallacy. If you want to be followed, you have to just be real and really open about what you're walking through. So I think, first of all, as a leader, you have to demonstrate to your team your willingness to be honest. I think you then have to create an environment where you're cultivating trust because I think trust leads to truth. 
And if you can get there, people will feel the freedom to share what's really on their heart and mind within the team. I would say one additional step before the crisis ever hits, I think you have to be good at reading the weak signals out there. Uh, You have to look out and sort of see the storm coming before it arrives. You won't have perfect information. There'll be some level of uncertainty, and you may be wrong at some time, but don't wait until it's on you. When you see the weak signals, lean and start to figure out what's behind this. Is is this going to be a big deal for us? Then I think once you're in the midst of a, a challenging situation and the tension is clearly in the air, I sometimes say uh, start small. This goes back to even some of our design thinking process. Kind of pilot your ideas, test your ideas before you launch them and go live. You know, see how they land on people who you trust, people with differing perspectives. So you then want to ask a lot of questions and do a lot of listening before you start talking so that you get a holistic understanding of the tension. Uh, I think the, the, the next thing I would say is make sure you've prepped your internal team before you go external and you feel like you have alignment and support and buy-in and there's unity. And then I think you're in a position to either take action or speak, whatever the case may be. So that, that's kind of my process, Kev, for how I think about these things. That's incredibly insightful and very helpful. And one of the things I think that jumps out for me for another organization that happened to make diversity in their hiring a priority about five years ago. And boy, does that mean a ton for their team right now, right? I mean, just being transparent, you could say all the things in the world, but if there was no focus on prioritizing diversity and inclusion before this moment, especially if you have people in turn have advocated for it, your team will look at any responses in this particular moment and they might feel it's empty. They might feel yep. it's empty. And I, and I think that's what I want to say. Once again, you can't, what Dave is about reading weak signals is such a big idea because it's easy to take diversity, inclusion, something else and say, this is the trend of the day another cool corporate America fad that will eventually fade. Um, and I have, a, I have a co- person I'm coaching right now and they're based in a small town in Missouri. They don't have a lot of African-Americans in their community. Well, how does a person approach diversity or inclusion? It could be a book club that has different thoughts. You know, no one's going to hold your town, no one holds you accountable for saying, go recruit someone to move to our small rural town in order to make sure we have diversity. But they are saying, what are you doing to stretch the minds and hearts of the people who are here so that we can have deeper empathy and greater wisdom when we're navigating things that may be outside of our norm? Uh, and so I just appreciate what you're saying there, David. So I'd love to go back to you really quick, David, and, and then have Jeff kind of chime in on it about what you do after the crisis hits. Yeah, well, I want, I want to back up just a sec, if I may, and build on what you just said. Um, within my primary team at work, we had a, a big huddle this week where we had a panel discussion and it was really incredibly healthy. And we had people from different perspectives, white, black, you know, all kinds of just talking about racial injustice. But what was really helpful is it was not the first time we talked about it to your point. And um, we had a session a few months back where Bethany Wilkinson, who has been a mentor or excuse me, an executive minds uh, podcast guest and has created content on the diversity gap came and shared that helps 
um, because it's not the first time we've leaned into a tough issue on the team. So you get better at it as you go. And it also, I think, makes more credible the idea that folks were not done talking about this. This is going to be an ongoing discussion. This is going to be a series and we'll come back. So it gives you a little more credibility. And I'm not suggesting in any shape or form that we got it all right or that, but I'm just saying that helps. So to your point, getting some reps in and sticking to it has, I think is, is important. It's not just, it's definitely not, um, you can address things and you can check the box and you're done. That just won't fly at all. Yeah, that's helpful. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jeff, I'd love to hear some things that maybe you might have been thinking as the crisis hit. So, I mean, I mean, obviously, you've done a ton of work. I mean, 18 months ago, you were doing a series at your church about racial reconciliation. So I definitely, I'm not, I know it's not about just race, but we're just using this as a, as a point of reference, as an example of the tension that may come into your world. I mean, obviously, Amar Arbery was, what happened to him and his, his murder happened in Georgia. Right where you or you pastor, and obviously where David, you and you, you and the Chick Fil A team are based out of. So there's an extra dose of tension when it happens, you know, kind of in your backyard, uh, metaphorically speaking. So, Jeff, I love to hear. You know, what did you do once once the tension's in the air? So we kind of let's you know, hey, things that happened before, now it's here. What am I doing? Well, I was very fortunate to be raised by a great father who introduced me to the fact that hey, we live in Atlanta, and this is the cradle of the civil rights movement. And my dad went first. In fact, there was a very famous editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution back in the newspaper days, Ralph Gill, and he wrote an editorial saying that a lot of white pastors, and this is back in the, in the 60s, a lot of white pastors aren't speaking up on civil rights. My dad wrote him a letter and said, uh, apparently you haven't listened to me in Norcross because I've been talking about this for a while. And he wrote my dad an apology letter, which I still have to this day, which is a pretty famous letter to get from this very famous journalist. So my dad taught me a lot about this. I've been a student of the civil rights movement for, for quite a while. And, one, and the reason I bring that up is Dr. King said that the biggest challenge with people in power is that it's hard for them to willingly give up that power. Um, so I would love to talk to the leaders right now who are in power, if you will. And this isn't just white people, but let me talk about to, to my white brothers and sisters right now. You, if you are in an influential role in an organization, you have power. So what is the fear that you have of giving that power away? And ultimately, giving power away that you have an influence away is actually going to be to the benefit of others. And it's actually going to be to the benefit of yourself because it shows you that the organization or your leadership is bigger than you. I'll give you a prime example of this. Uh, Mike Todd is a uh, African-American pastor in uh, Oklahoma, just released uh, the number one best-selling book um, just a few weeks ago about relationships. I think it's called relationship goals. He didn't start the church that he's in, Transformation Church. It was started by an older white gentleman who started the church and then saw Mike Todd and all that God had given him and then ultimately gave um, the church to Mike Todd. Now, no one knows a lot comparatively the name of that white pastor. Everybody knows the name in church world of Mike Todd right now. But God knows the name of that white person, that white pastor. And so he gave up power in a very good way. So I would encourage all of us to think through how are ways that we can give up power? What I mean by that is our influence, our platform, 
uh, pushing other people out in, 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 in not taking all of the leadership responsibility. So who on your team can help lead this? You don't necessarily have to be the one doing all of the work on this, but you can be the one shepherding the work on this. Hey, Jeff, I was remembering this weekend, we heard from people in Atlanta, like um, Congressman John Lewis and Ambassador Andy Young. And I was remembering, I can't remember if it was at Buckhead Church or Gwinnett Church, but you had the foresight years ago to invite Andy Young to come and speak to your staff. Yeah, well, he's been to both. And so, yeah, he was he was fantastic. I remember the first time he said my name out loud. I just couldn't hear another thing he said. Andrew Young said my name out loud, you know. So, but I will say this too, and, I, and, and I'm going to quote Andrew Young on this, David and Kevin, not me, okay? Because he has a whole lot more credibility to be able to say this statement than I ever will. But he told me and he taught me, and, and I read this in his book as well, um, but he said, get, don't get angry, get smart. Don't get angry, get smart. He has this incredible example of when he went to visit Dr. King in the Birmingham jail, there was a police officer that was very rude to him. But he would, and, and Ambassador Young would continue to come and see Dr. King every day while he was in jail. But he just won that police officer over by being kind to him. So I've never forgotten that. And anger obviously does have its benefits in terms of righteous indignation. But at some point, there, for this to really have a long-lasting effect, I love what Andrew Young is saying: is let's get smart, let's think, let's play the long game. What can we do to eradicate this? And it's going to take some strategy. It's really going to take the thought, the thought power of David Farmer. How you outline what you just outlined, Dave, that's another reminder why I didn't make it to Georgia Tech. Mm. I tell you, just listening to this conversation makes me want to add a step. You need to count the cost, too, because you think about the sacrifice that those gentlemen and so many others have made along the way. You have to, you have to go into it and count the cost. And they, were, they knew what they were getting into. I heard him speak to it again this weekend and it's incredibly powerful. And so I think that's whatever the issue is, as leaders, it, there's a cost, you know, it, 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 of doing the right thing. And we just need to be willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Transparent. I think that's, that is where, and I think this is transferable. That's why I'm bringing it up. What makes your team and your organization navigate the tension well is they know when you bring it up in a way that's authentic, you are risking lack of productivity. You might risk firing a client. You might risk firing a team member. You might risk losing customers. You might risk just political backlash. Like the when you do things that will not cost you anything and you're playing it safe, the question becomes, do we really want to address the tension in the air? I mean, we can go back to something that is basically much older, even in this in some ways, sexual harassment, right? They find out in the Dallas Mavericks organization that the CEO that Mark Cuban appointed is sexually harassing people. That's a fact. They've proven it. It's a big report comes out about it. It's going to cost you. It's got to cost you something. If you come in and say, well, you know what? I mean, we're just going to fire this one person. That's it. Like, no, no, no. It's got to take more than that. There was a system that allowed that gentleman to flourish and still do what he did for multiple years, despite multiple complaints. Once again, if you're a leader, this stuff's going to hit your desk at some point. And you can, and you can, you can, you can do the thing that, well, I know that 
that uh, seems like the solution with the least resistance. But I think, um, you know, I remember what our, our good friend, Angela Reed, who's a listener of the podcast said, and she talked about, you know, the statement's still true. Actions speak louder than words. And it's not so much just louder, they're more remembered than words. And in matter of fact, the actions are what bring proof and evidence and honesty and authenticity to the words. And I think that is something true about people be, be more forgiving of your poor use of words when they when you have actions that prove otherwise. And so to me, I just challenge you to say, do not give lip service. Do not do not a press release, a well-thought statement, while well-intentioned and maybe even well-worded we will undermine, the, the, your actions will enhance or undermine what you say. Kevin, I heard a quote just this week. Um, it's very similar to what you just shared from Angela, uh, but I'd never heard it said quite this way before. It, it, it really struck me. Uh, the, the lady that was speaking said, leaders don't reproduce based on what they teach as much as they reproduce others based on who they are. Mm, that's great. And, and so true for parenting as well, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, it sort of begins with who do you want to be personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, any thoughts for you before, before you uh, wrap up today? Well, that you are going to have to count the cost to David's point, but ultimately I think you got to ask, and then, you know, this is a, in terms of the business world, sometimes, again, we're thinking of things that normally we not, might not think. We're having conversations that we might not necessarily have in a business world, but it's a different world now. And to do the soul-searching work to know, are you on the right side of history? So for me, if what we do tonight in trying to create this racial reconciliation art piece at Gwinnett Church I mean, I don't think anybody's going to leave the church because of this, but let's just say there are a few people that do, um, or they don't like me doing a sermon series, you know, or talking about, I mean, I've been talking about this for quite a while in our church. If people don't want to come to Gwinnett Church, that's a cost. But I know at the end of the day, I'm on the right side of history and I can live with that cost. Yep, for sure. For sure. I think the big thing, like you can lose a few customers, but you can keep all of your soul. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, I, I saw a headline about Lance Armstrong, like the guy who got the guy who gained the whole world and lost his soul. Right. Uh, Someone else has talked about that as well. Uh, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I know people, you know, people out here stealing headlines from the, from the good book. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think it's a, um, it's an opportunity. So once again, we please, please, please. You know, this is one of the episodes where we know, First of all, David gave such a great framework and a lot of great ideas so eloquently it got might have gotten lost in this content. Please go back to the show notes. Go back to the show notes. We're going to actually outline some of the things that you heard today in a really way you can just copy and paste if you need to, make it your agenda, talk to your team about how you can implement some of these principles. Because once again, maybe this isn't hitting your origin as hard. Maybe you already have a lot of great trust, a lot of fantastic conversations. But imagine that being something you can lean back on because it's structured now. You're not relying on the presence of one singular great leader to quote unquote help you navigate the next tension in the air, the next issue, because this will not be the end. This is the plight of every leader forever, <laughs> that something will happen. Let's say COVID-19, you know, something inside your organization, something locally or regionally. And so we just want to be there for you because we do know this is hard work. And we don't take it lightly that we have an opportunity to support you 
as you navigate these challenges um, and hopefully, you know, overcome them with time. So I want to thank uh, David, Jeff, thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, Kevin. Hey, it's a pleasure, guys. And I thank you, Mundi, I'm I'm saying this publicly because I feel like you deserve to hear it publicly. Uh, I thank you both for creating an environment where the people around you know you are for them and know that when there's tension in the air in their own lives, no matter if it's something that's personal to you or not, that you can be safe places to go. Because at the end of the day, that's why it means so much to me personally, um, as I said in part one of this, when people who I know, and I know their hearts are standing up, it means so much. I'm like, see, like, great people. I know people look up to the two of you and they respect you so much in your communities. And when you say something, you will, your influence that you've worked hard to cultivate over decades of work, it, it means a lot to a lot of people. And mm. when, when you're vocal, the ripple is so much impactful. And I would say to anyone who's listening, who's a white male leader, this is my personal opinion. And it's controversial, but I'll say it anyway, because I think I believe it that strongly. Smart, successful white men in America could almost single-handedly make the biggest ripple if they came, if they if they came out and spoke against some of the stuff going on in our world because of your influence with how you use your money or you donate to your stature in society so that people make you a part of who they aspire to become and um, and I'm not trying to make this all about race but if you are in that position of influence in our culture in your community your voice matters on all types of issues and your culture will become what you tolerate. And so I thank you so much just for your contributions in my personal life, in my in my, my business, in my family. And um, we hope you, the listener, will join us next time. We are here to create a community and want you to be a part of that. Um, we hope today's only made you feel like this, we're even more right for you. And if we're not, we totally understand. We know that we, we hope you find the, the mentors and the people that can guide you on your journey. But if you're still with us, we are here to fight for you to help you become become a difference maker in your world. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, be rating a review, but be sure to check out the show notes at wearementor.co. And we hope to have you join us next time here on Executive Minds. Thank you.